you. Good morning. Good morning. I was just telling a few people before during the breakfast that if I fall asleep uh, while preaching, just silent prayer. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm not going to fall asleep while I'm speaking. I'm not that tired. Um, I don't know if you remember what we talked about last time I preached. Do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. And what was that about? The Bible. The Bible. We talked um, about the Bible and how the Bible is the Word of God. And because of that, we have to read it. And not only read it without really caring about what is written there, but as Jennifer was sharing with us this morning as we started, we have you know, to really jump into it, dive into it, really pay attention, try to understand. Because since it's God's Word, it's God speaking to us. So we have to be asking questions, what does he mean? And how, how, how does that apply to my life? So we really have to understand God's word. And you may, after that day, after that preaching, you may, you know, I don't know, but there's a possibility that you went home thinking, but where to start? <laughs> how do I start? Where do I start? You know, there are a lot of books. There are a lot of, you know, places. Should I do like some people that, you know, just throw the Bible in the air, and whatever it falls, you know, read it. Should I do that? Is that, you know, the way to do it? Is that the right way to do it? Just pick one page and, you know, start from there or in one verse. Or maybe I should go and see, well, I'm sad. Let me find some verse, you know, for sad people, you know, to make me happy. Is that the way? So, I would like to start with you this morning. In the beginning, it's a good way to start. It's a good place to start. And actually, this words, these exact words in the beginning, are in the beginning of the Bible. So, if you open your Bible to Genesis chapter one, verse one, you'll see, you realize that the first verses are in the beginning. It actually says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how God created everything. If you keep reading through Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, you'll actually, you'll actually realize that there's a lot of He said. He said. He said, and then after that, he said, and after that, he said again. There are actually 11 he says in Genesis 1. So that sentence, um, it's really present. And why? Why is that? Because when we're talking about someone doing something, uh, we will probably use... We'll probably pick another verb. So if the person is, you know, maybe playing guitar, you'll say, he's playing guitar. 
if the person is, I don't know the word for that, you know, you're, if you're making a pot, you know, you say that the person is making a pot. If, and you can think about different things, you would not say, he said, I'm going to make a pot. But even if you do, you would probably say, he said, I'm going to play the guitar. Then he went and did it. Because you'll need to say those two things. Because when we say something, it doesn't really mean that we did it. You can say, he said he was going to play the guitar, but he didn't. But with God, we cannot say that. We cannot say, God said this, but he, did. he actually didn't. Because what we learn from here, what, we, what that means when in Genesis chapter 1, he says, he said, is that actually it is happening. It is taking place. So, actually, we cannot separate God's Word from God's creative power. So, as God is saying, it is already happening. It's not like He's saying, then He's doing. You know, both things are happening at the same time. Just, just the Word of God. Just those words coming out of God's mouth, things are already going to place. So whenever God says something, that's the way it happens. That's the first thing we can learn from our Bible. So we studied about God's Word. So the Bible is God's Word. And then when we go to God's Word, Genesis 1, what we learn from God's words is that whenever God says something, it is happening. And even if you don't see it, it is happening. I still remember one day, um, the first major I took in college was social science. So I remember going to an Anthropology 2 class, and I was the only Christian in class, um, because I don't know how it works here, but in Brazil, when you go and study social science, you are 99.9% .9 chance to be um, a communist, so, <laughs> um, and they're pretty much, uh, they don't believe in anything, um, spiritually speaking. So I was the only Christian in my class, and we were visiting that day um, the Indian Museum, so from the native people, you know, of Brazil, and we are actually, we, we were having that, they were hosting that day, they, they, they had one chief of a tribe there, and uh, they invited us to come, and he was speaking only to our class, and we got the chance to ask him questions and all. And I remember that because I was a Christian, um, some of my friends were trying, you know, mocking me, saying, are you going to preach to him? How are you going to do it? Oh, you can open to questions. I'll ask him a question. And then one of my friends asked him, 
how, how do you believe that the creation happened? And then that, that chief started telling a story about the creation, their myth about the creation. And it was actually interesting, very interesting, because he was explaining how there was nothing. And all of a sudden, the first thunder god, So they could hear like some major noise, the noise of a thunder. And all of a sudden, things start happening. And then came the second thunder god and the third and the fourth. And things were coming into place as those thunder gods were doing things. It was interesting understanding that and as someone that loves mission, um, I've studied film sociologists, and we can actually see when we see Paul going through Athens and he's walking through, passing by, and he sees an altar for the unknown God. He knows that story. We can talk about that later, about how, you know, what happened and why that altar was there. But um, he knew the story about why it was there. And so he just, people were saying, you're preaching a new God to us. You crazy? We're Greeks. You know, we have all the gods that are known. And he said, no, you don't. You see that altar here? To the unknown God. So you don't know them all. I know that one. You don't. That's the one I'm preaching to you. So that was the, the way that in the culture, they had a revelation of God. But they didn't know what it was. And Paul used that. So I could see... I, while that chief was telling that story, I could actually understand that he was not wrong. He got it right. He got it right. He got the creation myth right. The only problem was that the Bible says that God's voice is like the sound of many waters, like a major, you know, amount of water just coming and smashing things. And how does that sound like? Pretty much like thunders. So God's voice created everything. The problem was that they kind of didn't get, the, oh, okay, that's not thunders. You know, those are not thunders. Those are not gods themselves. That, that's, that's God's voice creating things. But they understood that something was going on and there was this major noise and then things were coming to place because of it. So I was actually able to talk to that chief later and tell him that. And he was looking at me like... They, they had, you know, Catholic priests working with them for many years. They probably heard about the creation, how the creation came to place that the Bible tells us. But he never thought that. And he always thought as two different things. But actually, I could show him that the only thing is that you misunderstood a little. But that's okay. That's okay. God, God is not mad at you. Now you got the chance to get it right. I don't know how it went to, you know, in his heart. But I'm sure that, again, the Bible even tells us that, that the creation itself shows, reveals the glory of God. The creation itself. So even that Indian tribe in South America that was not discovered, people would 
get into a lot of arguing about that nowadays, if that's politically correct to say that it was discovered since there was already people there. But anyway, like it was discovered in the 16th century. And when the Portuguese got there, that tribe actually already believed in all of this. So who told them that? Is that the creation itself reveals the glory of God, shows the glory of God. So I'll, I'll ask an excuse for David and I'll use um, a few words that he's been using in his preaching. So in Genesis 1, we can learn how we were formed by God, how God formed everything, how he formed the earth how he formed us, how he formed you and me. So it actually says that God got clay out of the ground and he created the first man and he breathed life into his nose. The second thing you can learn from your Bible is the second in the beginning. And then I'm going to say like, wait, Marcus, the Bible tells twice the story about in the beginning. Yes, it does. If you go to the Gospel of John, you know how the Gospel of John starts? In the beginning. So John's actually showing us, he goes back all the way to Genesis, and he used those exact words. In the beginning... Want to take a look at that? John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. John tells us the story about the beginning. And he says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind and the light shines shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it so god's word isn't only the Bible. Last time we were talking about how the Bible was the Word of God, and it's right, but the Word of God is not only the Bible. So when we read about the story of creation, as we read, God says, God says this, God said that. Are those only waves traveling in the air? Is, it, is that the right concept of sound? Sounds are waves traveling the air. Is that only it? Is that what it means when it says, oh, God says this. So by his voice, by those waves, by that energy, things are created. Is that it? Is that it what he's, he means? No, it's not. And John is explaining to us. John is saying that 
God's word is actually a he, is a person. A person that was with God in the beginning, a person that is God. And so through him, as Genesis said, that by saying, so through him, through the word of God, all things were made, and nothing that has made has been made without him. So we can say that since God created everything by saying that this he was God's creation power. Since God's creation power was by saying. God's action. Then we go a little further. And verse 14, still John chapter 1. He says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So not only God's word is He, but He became flesh. And He lived among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who come from the Father, obviously. He's God's voice. He's God's voice. So He's coming from, from the Father. So who's the word of God then? Who's the word of God? Please help me here. Jesus. Play with me. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Are you sleeping? <laughs> I was the one supposed to be sleeping, not you. <laughs> but one thing happened. We were formed we were formed by God's hands. We were formed by Jesus' hands. He's the word of God. He's the word of God that became a man. And he created us. He created you. He created me. He formed us. In his shop. We are not made of wood, though. We were made of clay. But in his shop. He's not Geppetto. <laughs> just, just to make sure you were in the same page. But he formed us. But then, we all know this story, not getting into it, but we know what happened. All of a sudden, we were deformed. We were deformed by ourselves, by our hearts, our stone hearts that longed to be like God. So we were deformed. And Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 23. Says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness. And weaknessness of people. Who suppress the truth by their weakness. Since what may be known. About God is plain to them. 
because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That's why I told you the story about that Indian chief. Because it's not only Paul saying this. That's the truth. I've seen it. God's creation show his glory to people that people are unexcused. That Indian people, they are unexcused by believing that God's words, you know, each word that God was saying to create something was itself a God. They are unexcused because they got it. They got it right. So they, they have no excuse for believing that there are different gods and then one God created this, another God created that. They are unexcused. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile. Is that right? Futile? And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise. Do you know people who claim to be wise? They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So actually what happens is that you and me, all of us, we have been born deformed. We all have been born deformed. In a sense that we were not born with the shape, with the form that we are supposed to. With the first form that Jesus, that God dreamed. That Jesus with his own hand made and formed. We were born deformed. So what happens when something is deformed? I got three examples for you. The first one is more for the ladies. I didn't want to just give examples to the guys. I want to include ladies. So, what happens when you put some clothes inside the washing machine and they get out of the washing machine deformed? Will you use that again? Ladies, the guys would. That, that's why that's for the ladies. You know, your wife would say, What are you doing? Get another shirt. You go, It's good. It's still good. It still works. I'm putting a coat over it so nobody will see it. But the ladies, what would you do? You won't use it again. You'll say, it's wrecked. You know, it's wrecked. It's, it's rubbish. It's no use. You know those baby toys? That you have those forms and shapes. And, you know, the babies, when they're really, really young, they're kind of, they're kind of stupid. <laughs> they're trying to get the circle up. You know, I'm sorry for you that word, but it is. <laughs> I have a baby home, so I can I can say it. I can say that. Nobody will feel offended. No, she can't. You can't say. Yeah. Again, ladies are different from guys. The guys are laughing, thinking I'm nice. The ladies are like, okay, man. So they they actually get the circle and they try to put it in the square and they get the star and try to put it in the circle and you go like, no, it's not gonna work. But what happens if any shape is deformed? 
Even if they get the star and they get the star hole and they are trying to put the star in, but what what about what if the star gets deformed? It won't go through. Even if it's you that's smarter, you know, like okay, I'm not a baby anymore. You know, I'm I'm able to see the star and the star hole, and then I'm I'm gonna put that in, and you go like. It's not coming in because it's a baby. And then you try to put it, it's not coming in. And then you feel, okay, there's something wrong with me. It won't come true because it's deformed. It doesn't have the shape it was supposed to. What about if you get involved in a car accident and then your, your, one of your wheels get wrecked, get deformed? You won't be able to move. You get to have your will reshaped or get a new one before you're able to move. Because if it's deformed, it's wrecked. It's rubbish. It's no use for it. And I'm sorry to tell you that, but we have been born deformed. We have been born wrecked. There's no use for us. And so because everything was deformed, if we move a chapter further in John chapter 2, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, actually there's a little story before that. He's in a party. His mom asked him, you know, do something. We ran out of wine. You know, all the guys have been through it before, haven't you? You know, we've been out of this. Go to the supermarket. Go get it. But he actually said, you know, that's not the beginning of my ministry. So I'll, I'll go to the next story then. And so the first thing he actually do, he actually does is verse 15. He made a weep out of courts and drove out from the temple courts. I think that... The guys also love those verses. You know, it's Jesus is a tough guy. You know, he went to the temple, saw everything was deformed, wasn't working the way it was supposed to work. So he get a cord, make a whip out of it, and start smashing everything. You know, that's his rage coming up, and he's, I'm gonna do it. So he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle and scattered the coins of the money changers overturned their tables was wild to those who sold those he said get this out of here stop turning my father's house into a market his disciples remember that was written zeal for your house will consume me he was consumed by the fact that that was deformed He couldn't stand it. So the first thing Jesus actually came to do was to clean the temple. Was to make things back. To put things back in the shape they were supposed to have. So because we were formed and deformed, we need to be reformed. And I was talking to Andressa, I always talk to her before the preaching, and she was like, don't you mean transformed? And I was like, no, 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 
that's the thing, you know, I could use the word transformed, but what I actually mean here is reformed, reshaped. As we see in Isaiah that, you know, he went into the, how, how, what's that word? He went into the shop of the guy who makes jars out of, out of clay. Potter's house. Potter's house. Thank you. So he went down to the potter's house and he saw, what he saw that was going on is that that guy was, you know, God one deformed jar. So he breaks it and reforms it, reshapes it. Zeal for your house will consume me. What house? The temple in Jerusalem? So you probably, you are probably thinking right now, the temple is gone. Actually, people even discuss where the temple was. They don't, they don't even know exactly where it was. So Jesus said that his zeal for his house will consume me. So Jesus is being consumed right now as the temple is gone. But if we go and look, verses 19 and 20, he says, like, Jesus answered him, destroy this temple and I will raise it again. In three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. The temple of God, while Jesus was, was saying this, was his body. And why? What did he mean with that? Is that if we remember, it's not in John, but if we go to Luke, to Mark, to Matthew, the first thing that actually happened was that when Jesus was about to start his ministry, he went to John the Baptist and got baptized. And what happened when, while, you know, when he came out of the water? The Holy Spirit came upon him in the shape of a dove. So the Holy Spirit was living inside Jesus. And Jesus, when he was about to go to heaven, he told his disciples, wait, wait until I send you the Holy Spirit. And after Jesus was risen, and after a few days, one day they were praying, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they became God's temple. They became God's house. So not only his body, but every body, literally, can be God's house, can be God's temple. But remember the baby pieces. If you are deformed, the Holy Spirit won't go through. It will be the light, it will be the star trying to go into the square. Because you were out of the original shape. So Jesus came to reshape us. And he actually said in Luke chapter 4 verse 40, 43 that he said, I must proclaim the good news of the, God, of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. That happened after he made a few miracles and people were like, oh, stay with us. And he said, no, I have to go. I have to proclaim 
the kingdom of God into other towns. Because that's why I was sent. I was sent to proclaim. Please help me with that. What is another word to proclaim? To tell another word. If you're telling, you are sharing. You are saying. I came to say, like in the beginning, like in the beginning of everything. I was saying, I was doing, I was forming. I came to say about God's kingdom. I came to reshape, to reform. That's what I came for. What did we learn? Right here on the beginning of my sermon about what happens when God says something. What happens? It happens. Things are getting formed. When God says something, things are coming into place. Things are happening. So if Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God, what was going on? If he was saying about the kingdom of God, it was because God's kingdom have already come with him. God's kingdom is here. There are some people there are, oh, you know, what about it? What is God's kingdom? Where is it? Are we going to, you know, be able to see it and, 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 and to experience after we die only? No, God's kingdom is here. He's saying God's kingdom is here. The kingdom has come because he proclaimed it. So it was happening. There's no separation between it. How can we see it? How can we taste it? That was a question. That was actually a question in John chapter 3. A guy came to Jesus and he said, how can, I, how can I enter the kingdom of God? So how can I enter it? How can I see it? How can I experience it? How can I taste it? Maybe you were born in church, hopefully in a hospital. But maybe you were raised in church. And going to church, as you grew up, you heard a lot about God. You know, you sang songs. You heard a preacher excited about God's Word. Maybe you even studied your Bible. But have you experienced have you seen have you tasted god's kingdom be honest to yourself because you can lie to me you can lie to the person sitting next to you saying yes obviously i did you know i was born in church i, I grew in church so i obviously have but it is possible that you didn't that man that was asking Jesus that question was a man that he was one of the teachers in Israel. He knew about the Old Testament. He knew it at all. He was one of the teachers. And it wasn't as easy to be a teacher at that time as it is today. Today is a little easier than that time. I'm not saying that is easy. You don't have to look at him. <laughs> It depends on the student. It actually depends on the subject. I can, I can say that being a PE teacher is easier than being a chemistry teacher a lot. Uh, trying to get that into their heads is not easy. 
was never easy to get into mine. So. He was one of Israel's teachers. And he was asking Jesus, how do I taste it? And actually, if you go and you read it, and you probably, you know, you should do it at home, do your homework, you'll see that actually that was part of the conversation and got to a point that Jesus told him that, how come you were one of the teachers in Israel and you haven't got it? And in verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that word again in Greek can also mean from above. So you can actually translate that verse by saying, uh, you cannot, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. And so we know that conversation. Then he asked Jesus, but how can I come back into my mother's womb? It's impossible. And he said, yes. So if you're not born again from the water and from the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. If you're not reshaped, if you're not reformed, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You may go to church. You may read your Bible. You may sing worship. You may pray. But if you're not reformed, you won't go through. You'll not be able to see the kingdom of God. So the only way of getting ourselves cleaned, fixed, reformed, is by being born again, being born from above. So you were formed. You got deformed. But Jesus, the one who formed you first with his own hands, he wants to reform you. He wants you to have the right shape so you can go through and get into his kingdom. So since I told you I would be talking about the beginning, I got some good news for you in this morning. You can have a new beginning. It doesn't matter what you've been through in your life until today. You can have a new beginning. And you can have it today. And not only you, your wife, your husband, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, your boss, your colleague, your neighbor. It's available. The one who formed us. Is available. He's saying, I want to reshape you. I want to reform you. So I would, I'll invite you to close your eyes. And just pour out your heart before God. You know, it's between you and Him. It's not me. It's not, it's not about me or David or table or anyone else in this room, not even your, your wife, your husband. It's between you and God. He's the one who formed you. When he formed you, he had dreams for you. And he, the Bible says in Genesis that he saw it was good. So when the Holy Spirit was coming over Jesus that day 
when he was baptized and he said, this is my son. And he's good. It's the same in Genesis. So God's plan for you, for your life, the first plan formed. He saw it was good. And he was pleased. He's pleased with his first shape of you. He sees it's good. But we were not born that way. We were born deformed. So the plans are not going the way they were supposed to. And so maybe there are some areas in your life that things, you see it, you know it. Things are not going the way they were supposed to. So in this sense, you have been not seeing the kingdom of God. You're not experiencing it. You're not tasting it. So you need reformation. You need to be reformed, reshaped. And Jesus, the one who first formed you, who dreamed about you, he's telling you this morning, you know that area, you know that little room inside your heart that you've been keeping locked. You maybe even put, you know, a cabinet in front of it or a wardrobe in front of it to hide that door because you don't want to get in there. You don't want to open it. You don't need that. I can reform you. I can reshape you. And I want to do it. I want to do it today. I want you to experience my kingdom, the fullest of my kingdom. The rejoice, the joy. Jesus, thank you. Thank you because you're God's word. And because you became a man to proclaim your kingdom, to bring your kingdom to us. And we can experience today the joy of being part of your kingdom. There are some areas, there are some things in my life that are deformed. Sometimes I feel like that clothes, that deformed clothes, that it's not worth it anymore. There's no fixing for that. But there is. You can reshape me. You can reform me. So you know that area in my life that I've been keeping behind things, trying to hide, not touching, running from it. I'm moving the wardrobe out of that door. I'm unlocking that door. I'm opening that door and I'm saying, Jesus, go in. I'm not brave enough to go in. I cannot go in, but you can. So go in, reform it, reshape it, make it new, throw all, all the trash away, 
I don't want to see it. I want to pray for you this morning. God, you know all of us here in this room. You know your plans for us. You know the plan for each and every one in this room. You know your plans for him. You know your plans for her. You know what needs to be changed. You know what part of him, what part of her. Is the form that won't go through. So I beg you, Lord. I beg you. I beg to your grace. By your mercy, by your grace. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask you. Reform. Reshape. Clean. That so he can see, that so that she can see the kingdom of God. And that so they can, they can experience that. They can taste it. They can live it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.